Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a former collegiate athlete, a former professor of psychology. She has her master's in counseling and PhD in sports psychology. You can find her on Twitter at Sterling Mindset. You want to learn more about her and her practice, you can visit www.drlindasterling.com. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Dr. Linda Sterling. Dr. Sterling, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good. Excellent. Welcome to the podcast. You are a college athlete yourself. Spent some time in the classroom, I believe. Tell us a little bit about your journey from student athlete to mental performance coach. Definitely. Okay. So started way back in the day. Um, Softball was my sport college. Um, So I started as a student athlete there. I was a pre-law major at that time. And, um, I started out in, you know, I had gotten a scholarship to go play in college and great things were expected of me. And the first couple of games I went like, Oh, for four and I'm a slap hitter. So or I was a slap hitter. So, you know, you hit the ball on the ground and you run fast. Right. And so when you can't get on base, that's a problem. And my psychology professor was, um, had a background in sports psych. So I was like, I'm going to talk to her about this and find out what's going on. And she gave me tips about imagery and some self-talk stuff. And I took that back to my dorm and I was visualizing all the time and it worked and I um, had a great season, went to hit over 500. And I'm like, wow, this sports like stuff is amazing. Um, kind of forgot I was going to be a lawyer at the time and then <laughs> went on and majored in psychology. I transferred schools after that first year. Okay. Um, When I got to the second school, I got injured. Um, So I had elbow surgery and my role changed. You learn a lot about yourself and about the game when you're watching from the, from the dugout. So um, I I was like, you know, I really want to do this. I knew I wanted to work with people and you know, what makes them tick and why we do what we do. But I'm like this athlete thing, this, this is really what I'm interested in. Went on, I got a master's degree um, in counseling psych, so I could work with anyone, um, but then did the PhD in sports psych because I knew that, you know, athletes were the population I wanted to work with. Um, At the time, you had options of like, you could be a professor or you could be a full-time clinician. And I decided professor route was where I wanted to go. And so I did that for 13 years Um, and I would consult with the teams along the way. So the teams at the university I was at, um, after a while though, you know, you, you can help the athletes to some extent, but if you're going to grade them on a paper a couple hours later, right? Like you can't really have them sharing, um, a lot of personal details. So decided I wanted to do that full time and left the classroom and started my own practice. So here we are. Excellent. Excellent. Love the journey. Um, along that journey, was there, you know, you, you mentioned the psych professor, was there a coach or, or someone else that kind of really inspired you or motivated you that were like, ah, I really want to go do this with, with athletes. Right. You know, 
as far as coaches, so I had coaches that, you know, inspired me and motivated me earlier on in my career. So, you know, travel ball in high school, um, in college, it was a different experience. And, um, I learned a lot about some things that you don't do and, you know, and I watched our team kind of rally around that. So that can inspire me in a different way. Sure. Um, but yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, I know one of the things, uh, a topic you cover, I saw on your website that I always like to chat about because I think athletes, parents burn out. Um, you know, what are some signs maybe uh, for athletes that want to avoid getting burnt out and maybe are unsure if they're feeling, that's what they're feeling? Um, what are maybe some signs and then um, some ways to kind of detour around that burnout feeling? Yeah. So, we do see burnout in the athletes that come to us for um, mental performance coaching. You know, it looks different. Um, sometimes it's that apathy, that kind of loss of love for the game. Um, a lot of times they're contemplating if they want to keep playing. Um, so they come to us with that and parents are often coming to us like they used to love it. Now they, they yeah. don't, I don't see that fire anymore. Um, so we see that, but sometimes you also see, um, like easily agitated, a little bit angry because it's just a lot. <laughs> um, so you can see it different ways, um, sure. but ways to to avoid it or hopefully not get to that place. Um, you know, if we could change sport culture, that would help, but <laughs> that sure. obviously is a little beyond our scope. Right. Um, but if we could have more physical rest is going to be important, but also more like mental rest, like giving their heads a break. Um, not all sport all the time, which is tough in, in our sport culture, but we do those things. Anytime you can do the thought work like that we do with athletes, um, it can help you when, when it gets overwhelming, you know, how, how are we going to deal with that? What are we going to do a thought download, get all of those thoughts out of our head and onto paper. And then we're going to look at the ones that are really causing, um, the most distress, and what can we do from there? How can we change that um, self-talk? A lot of those skills, anything that we do to comp for your complete mental game, like to elevate your performance is also going to help you deal with the potential for burnout and any other challenges that come your way. I think uh, another thing, kind of the burnout with the demands and youth sports that we've seen when you mentioned the culture there, um, you know, I th being around student ethics, I think around, whether it's college or high school or middle school, or if you're a parent listening, um, sometimes the classroom workload outside of classroom hours um, is also feels very different than when some of us grew up. Um, the combination of those things and then this age of app era that we're in um, in social media uh, seems like, uh, you know, the overall anxiety uh, in a lot of populations is on the rise, um, which how do you see that? cascade when it comes down into uh, youth and high school sports and student athletes. Yeah. You make such a great point about that academic load and the pressure to, you know, take college classes in high school and um, all those things. And a lot of athletes are high achievers too. They want to do well on the field, on the court, but they also want to do really well in the classroom. And yeah, all of that pressure becomes a lot. Um, that app age and everything that you're speaking of that I just wrote an article about that um, called always on. And because 
you're always on now in the social media, um, era. And I see it lead to a lot of comparison. So if the athletes will tell me I'm doing research, I'm just checking like on, you know, whatever app it is, runners check Strava and, um, you know, you can see everyone's stats now we're back in the day. We could not see that. Yeah. Not that easily anyway. And so there's this comparison, um, criticism from, it can be self-criticism from that comparison, but from others too, others can easily criticize your performance and you can see it in ways you wouldn't have been able to in the past. Um, but yeah, that in the, just the pressure, like even to create a, um, a personal brand is now, or seeing that, especially, um, college athletes now can get paid to do that. Um, but yeah, to start that earlier, um, followers equals dollars. Sometimes people say, and, um, yeah, having to create that early, but there's no, there's also no time off and no escape for athletes with, with this. Um, so we definitely see some, some issues there. Okay. You brought up kind of the NIL, uh, Mm -hmm. era that we've just kind of stepped into as well, being on, um, that starts to impact high school athletes that are on social media because you're, I think for pre NIL, you know, it always tells student athletes, have you started a resume and high schoolers would look at you like you're an idiot. And then I, you know, do you have a social media account? All the hands go up. It's like, you're already kind of writing it and you're already kind of building that NIL brand before you might even realize that it's going to be a part of your life. Um, one way or another. Yeah, Um, for sure. Um, the time you spent in the classrooms um, yeah. as a professor, we have had a few, have some academics and authors on here, but uh, people that went from the classroom to the fields. I, I love it. I love it. Um, what was, you know, one of the things that you took that's helped your mental performance coaching from the classroom? You mentioned kind of the depth that psychology can require when you're grading and, and working with students in that dynamic. Um, but what was something that, helped your mental performance coaching from the classroom? Oh, yeah. I think it helped that I have a pretty deep knowledge of the theory because as a professor, you, you have to have that. Um, but you have to find a way to make it engaging. And I felt like I did a good job of that as a professor. We used to have our, we called a team spirit competition in our sports site class where first day of class, I'd randomly divide everyone up and that became their team. They had like a team of five. They had to choose their mascot and their name and their colors and all that. And throughout the semester, we'd have little competitions at the beginning of class so they can earn team spirit points. And, um, and part of that was like, they had to apply the topics we were talking about that day, or we do an activity about the topic and then we compete. Um, but things like that, that you have to think of to engage students, um, were helpful to me now as someone who engages students in a different way. It helps a ton with like team talks that we do in workshops, but even with individual athletes, you have to find a way to make this um, applicable to what they're doing. And um, so they can see the value and and make it stick. Yeah. I think when you get to the the individual level, when you think sports psychology, mental performance, vague, big encapsulating, (laughs) Yeah. you know, a thing, but when you get to work one-on-one, it's easy to kind of narrow down on some of those topics. Of those topics, was there, or is there a favorite that you love to teach with student athletes that 
maybe click some aha moments or something that just gives you joy to pass along. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I really like self-talk, right? Because self-talk in sport, it gets (laughs) people think, Oh, okay. Talk positive to myself. Like I'm my own best friend. Right. And, um, right. And a lot of athletes will come to me and they're like, I already tried it. I already tried the self-talk stuff. It's not working for me. (laughs) Um, and then we see a lot of like uh, motivational speaker sports psych when they're like, you know, you just have this mantra and just go out and do it. Um, yeah. But it, we know it doesn't work that way. So I love to break down the self-talk piece in a way that they're like, okay, now that makes sense to me. Often it's, we do try to go from like, uh, I'm like, I'm failing out here. I just can't do it to like, I'm a record breaker. I'm the best or whatever. And people are like, I just don't believe it. Like, of course you don't believe it, right? Because right. we haven't been thinking that. And so we talk about how to go. Ultimately, we want to get to that place where um, we're thinking thoughts make us feel confident. But sometimes we have to start like at this neutral place. Mm-hmm. Well, what could you think out there? Let's say, you know, you play basketball and you're like, like they, I hope they don't pass me the ball. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna, it's, I don't want it, right? And right. to... Like I'm the best player out there. They're not going to go there, but if we can find something in the middle, like I play basketball and if they can think that thought for a little while, they're not going to feel as nervous and as anxious and they'll be able to focus more. And then we can work towards getting to that, that positive thought, but we can't jump to it. Um, And that always makes sense to people because I'm like, what happens if you try to jump to that thought? They're like, Oh, totally. My brain's like, no, no, you're not. Um, And so if they have another option, that's, that's usually a light bulb moment for people. I like it. I've heard, you know, optimism described in a similar way as it, you know, this naive, you know, type, or is it grounded or is that optimism grounded in in something that's reality that you can go do play basketball. Right. Right. And I think, um, I always, sometimes one of my favorite things to tell athletes is, you know, it's play basketball, not do basketball. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah. the football players, even I'm like, it's play football, not do football, not work football. It's play football. You know? yeah. so, exactly. um, that just, reframe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, just saying, you know, how are you, are you playing? Are you doing, are you working? What does it feel like? So um, yeah. mindfulness is such a big thing. I know something you, you, you talk about, where do you see mindfulness in five years? I feel like it started to flood into professional sports and people starting to talk more about mental health and and how mental performance relates to some of those things. Um, Where do you see mindfulness in five years when it comes to student athletes? Yeah. You know, every five years I think about this question, people will ask like, Hey, what do you, where do you think it'll be in five years? And even 10 years ago, I would say, Oh, it's really growing. Right. Mm -hmm but it has not grown as fast as we want it to. And, but I really think now with more athletes speaking up about mental health, um, we, you know, we've seen it recently, Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, Kevin Love, we've seen um, athletes really speak about it and then take action on it, especially in that last Olympics that it really came to the forefront. But I think because of that, we're actually going to make more movement now than what we had in the last, you know, five yeah. years. But I think it's, it's really following the same trajectory as athletic training, um, strength and conditioning, all of those things that used to be like, you know, not everyone had an athletic trainer in their high school. I think some small, 
school still might not, but, um, for the most part, you're going to have someone there. Same with a coach that, you know, specifically works with strength and conditioning. And, um, you don't go to a college where they don't have that anymore. And I think we're moving there with sports psych, um, and mental health and mindfulness and everything. Now, most division one schools have someone, um, and I think it's starting to become like D2 schools will contract with someone, but yeah. I think we're getting there. Yeah. And yeah. I found too, I think even my experience with some division one schools is the limited time or hours the sports psychologists have are completely full. Yeah. Um, the, the investment still seems to be on the rehab instead of prehab in that thought process when it comes to mental performance. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I've had D1 athletes that I've worked with that couldn't get an appointment for a long time and they're going through something and it's like, you know, myself is, is not a clinician. It's, it's like, Hey, you know, we need those people. Um, yeah, I agree. That's, yeah, they'll hire one person for all of their student athletes. 400, 500 athletes. Exactly. <laughs> and just no way can it work. And we see a lot of student athletes that couldn't get in or, and we know like having a good fit is important too. And if you only have one person yeah. as an option, that's really tough. Um, yeah. So it's, it's encouraging when you see a university hiring a staff um, yeah. just for mental health and mental performance. Um, I think you need both. I, um, I think some issues are definitely clinical, but other issues um, with some mental skills help, yeah. they can use that for the, you know, the outside of sports stuff they're struggling with too. I think it's, I found it a gateway to, to just little tips and tools that can help them in the classroom. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about sports being the gateway for learning. I think at the high school collegiate level, whether it's, hey, take some simple breaths before the test, you know, same thing before you, you the play, you know, exactly. what do you, th- what are your, you know, just like you talk, what are your thoughts on paper before the test versus before a game, um, you know, and, and seeing where those line up. So um, yeah, being a, a professor and working with student athletes and, and kind of, uh, different worlds. Uh, one thing I think can cause so much extra stress or anxiety is just poor time management. Uh, there's a lot of new things coming at college student athletes versus a high school student athlete and kind of their ecosystems and worlds they're in. But can you talk about for high school and college athletes, just how effective time management can alleviate maybe some of the, the stressfulness of their already busy lives? Yeah, definitely. Uh, high school athletes have a little bit of time management built in, right? Because of, you know, they have to be at school all day and usually practice is right after school. And so they're really managing that the 6 PM to, you know, yeah. whenever they go to bed. Um, so, but even within that, there's, there's time management that has to be done. Um, college athletes though, it's a whole new ball game, right? Because yeah. you, you go to class, but there's no one watching over when you're getting the the work done, you have longer practices, you have travel, you have, you know, weight room, athletic training, like all of that stuff. Um, so we, what we work on is a lot of the mindset skills that we do can be applied to time management, but what we see is if you don't have good time management, that it's going to lead to overwhelm. Um, some of the burnout stuff that we see too, um, reduces your ability to focus. Um, and if you can't focus in your sport 
or in your classes, that's a problem. So we, we like to work at not just like practically, here's some things you can do about like calendaring and that kind of stuff, but also, um, going to look at like, when do you have to be on and when can your brain rest? Um, those kind of things. We call it like the green and gold zone. So yeah. green zones, everything leading up to your performance or your sport and gold zone is when it really counts. And if you can think about your sport in that way, it's not always on your brain, right? Like you can be, Oh, it's green zone. Now I can relax, but now it's time to flip the switch, right? It's practice yeah. game day, whatever it is. Um, and then if you know that, like it helps and you can be okay, it's not, it's not even green zone right now. So I could totally work on this paper or, or whatever it is. Um, but knowing that, so you're not always on with all the things, because if not, we see athletes with like their homework assignments and upcoming tests, the competition this weekend, all in their head all the time. And that's just so hard to maintain. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So if we can, if we can portion that out and like have some kind of routine that like tells you to reset before a game and after a game, we yeah. see that too. People who can't, it's hard to turn it off afterwards. Maybe you've had a great game and it's hard to sit down and focus and study then yeah. after that, or it hasn't been great and it's hard then too. So. Yeah. And there's uh there's, there's a reason all those digital calendars have color coding, right? <laughs> right. So I think, you know, just, I mean, even giving that, you know, that visual reminder that, oh, this is school. I'm in this, uh, you know, this is practice. Right. I'm, I'm moving in gold mm -hmm. um, in your example. So perfect. Yeah. Last question. One of our favorites here on the show, how do you define success? Yes. I've been thinking about this one and my first thought was, okay, success is goal achievement. But, and that is different for everyone, right? And whatever you're working on and when we work with athletes, that's the first thing we kind of determine is what those goals are. But I really think success is when you're working towards achieving the goals um, and enjoying the process. Mm -hmm. Not in a like, this is amazing. I love working on goals all the time, but like even enjoying that was a really challenging day, but I'm so pumped about who I'm becoming as I'm working on this. I think that's success when you're in that place. Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out, and don't forget, go elevate others.